Hello, and welcome back to Miss D's Lunacy. Today I have a woman with me that commands tremendous attention, respect, and admiration. Her motto is, subjects that matter with people who make a difference. She's a catalyst for solutions. I will tell you all about this, or she will, and I'm proud to introduce to you this dynamic woman who does not cease to amaze the world. Please welcome Dale Couder of the Couder Institute. Hello, Dale, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, you're welcome, and I think that our listeners are going to be very ecstatic about some of your most incredible stories of what you started for so long and that you've empowered women and given them challenges. And basically, I, I feel from what I've read that you're really about peace and solutions. Am I correct? Absolutely. My life basically started because of uh, being in trouble. I, <laughs> I mean, I, my life was perfect. Got married, had some children, and one day I got divorced. And that was my journey. That divorce set me on a pattern to figure out how to help women because when I got divorced, women couldn't get any alimony. We could only get alimony or um, uh, child support. We couldn't get any equity even though we started a business or we owned a home, but if it didn't have our name on it, which in co-op apartments in New York City, a woman couldn't, um, they didn't put your name on it. So that allowed me to know when I got divorced that there was nothing for for women. You couldn't get a credit card. You couldn't get a mortgage. You 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 really were a second class citizen, and um, so that's how my life began. And so, but this is amazing because people in today's world do not understand that credit cards were absolutely not given to you. I mean, you literally had to go to the bank. I mean, it was all very complicated. Well, the bank didn't want to really deal with you other than your checking account, which they used to charge you for. But if you came from a rich family, which some did, their father usually got them the credit card and they got uh, credit. Um, My father always kept me with a credit card and a husband gave me a credit card. And guess what? When I got divorced, I didn't have a credit card because I didn't have any credit rating. It's unbelievable. So what I think is amazing is that you really made an effort and you became part of a group behind the First Woman's Bank. That's group. And that's incredible. So the first woman's bank ever created for only women. Well, it wasn't only for women, but it was created. By women. It was created by women and some men um, who decided there was this injustice that was going on and that we raised enough money to put us in business between uh, on Park Avenue and Lexington on 57th Street. It used to be called Pavillon Restaurant and everybody used to tease me because where everybody kept their cigars was our safety deposit box. But it was a <laughs> very, very important step and we got involved in even trying to change the Constitution with Equal Rights Amendment, and we almost got there, but we didn't need to do it anymore. And now all the banks, basically major banks in this country, have a woman's division. Women can run banks now. Women used to be in the back office. Now we they are up front. They're presidents of their divisions or even presidents of their banks. And today when I meet people, uh, they tell the kids tell me what they're doing, and when I call kids, I'm saying thirty year olds, thirty five year olds. I used to say, "Well, I'm helped your mother," and then I realized I really helped their grandmother. 
Oh, but it's so amazing that you started this movement that people were so unaware of the fact that women had so little so little power. And I mean, remember back then, even World War II, women were made to be nurses and secretaries and typists and things of that nature. But for years, if you there's a series on television called Mad Men. And, you know, the men are all smoking cigarettes and taking these huge boozy lunches. And women were never in the power or position that they, they were. They were secretaries. I know and, they were. And that's how they got power and they married the president. And they married the, <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you got to move up the ladder. But the bank that you started with this group, I think, is phenomenal. And I think women out there would like to thank you personally if they got a chance because you've changed so much for us over the years. Well, you can't ask if you're a male or female to get a credit rating. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's important. You know, a friend of mine got a, a credit card with her dog's name on it. And she said, how? Uh, today, people get credit cards. She said, wait a second. She, I don't know how somebody got the name of her dog with her last name. And she said, it's a dog, you idiot. So from the day that they never gave you a thing and you had to have somebody co-sign or write to, you know, your husband. Now they're handing out credit cards, credit cards like they're candy sticks. That's our problem. Well, that's our problem. That's why the economy fell through, because people were giving money to these people who could not afford to pay the mortgages, and it was just flying around. But anyway, that's another issue, because I still want people to remember that women back in the 60s did not have any power whatsoever, and now we are very empowered. I mean, we might even have a woman president, for heaven's sake, so look at how far we've gotten in 50 years, and it took us a long time to get there, don't you think? I think it's very important that each person... If you're here on this planet, have a right to some power and to make their life better. I agree. And I think a lot of things get hindered in this group, in this idea. So this is basically your concept of what you've continued since you were younger. And you um, started in the 1990s uh, with John Wallach. Who is John Wallach? Well, John Wallach I met when I was working in Russia, when I was with the First Woman's Bank. Uh, I was on the board, I was in the management, and uh, I knew how to hire people, so that was part of it. I was not a banker, but uh, I learned quickly, and I was the one that developed business. And I met a man, and I believed him to be honest, and he gave a speech, he was from Russia. Really? And he, his name, um, I, I, maybe I shouldn't use his name, but anyway, okay, he was head of the Venishnikov Bank in Moscow, which was the bank that took care of all of Russia at the time. Gorbachev was president at the time. And I believed him to be real. So he invited me to come to Moscow and invited me to go to a lot of different places. And I would talk to women and to the men, but talk to women about our capitalist system and about the banking system. In that capacity... You're talking to communism at the time. They, well, but they saw the handwriting on the wall. In that capacity, somewhere along the line, I met a man named John Wallach, who I think ran a Hearst newspaper in Moscow at the time. And I met him, and he said he had a great idea, because I guess he or his wife, Janet Wallach, who's a famous writer, um interviewed and wrote a book about Arafat. Now, to be honest with you, I never thought about Arafat. I never thought about a lot of the stuff. And he said to me, I would like to start a camp. And I said, that is terrific, is to bring Palestinian, Jewish, Egyptian children together. And I said, I'll be a part of it. And together, I started it with him. 
And we were part of the peace treaty signing at the in Washington, D.C. My goodness. So not only did you go to China and Russia, but on the middle of this, you were at the peace treaty. I'm sorry to ask you, when was that year? I wasn't living here. Well, it was in the, I, I don't remember the exact year, but it was in the, I'll tell you, had to be 92 or 91, well, the peace treaty with all of these, with, the, with whom? Well, the peace treaty was Rabin, Arafat. The, the signing of it, you know, they had the Oslo Accord, I uh, and these were some of the children from those par- parents who um, were part of the peace treaty, and they believed that we believed that if we bring young people together, and these were first boys, that when time went on, they would remember having a good relationship with each other instead of just one of being uh, hate, and. We kept it going. It's going today better than ever. And if anyone ever wanted to make a contribution, it's a good one. It's bringing these kids who are worn, torn, and learn that they're that they are all the same, and that they have great love, and they care about their life, and they care about their country and their family. Now, how can um, our listeners tell tell them how you, they can make a contribution? Well, they, I, I'm no longer with P- Seeds of I Peace. I understand. But they have, it's online. or they can Seeds of Peace. Seeds of Peace. And it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. That is absolutely wonderful. I am so impressed. And still to this day, yes. and you started the momentum again. So you started Women's Empowerment. Then you went into putting t- the momentum for peace, which, as you know, is so difficult. Well, when people meet each other, when I went to Russia... I was invited to Kazakhstan, and some people invited me to their house, and I walked up the three flights of stairs, and I saw that they had a poodle. I I couldn't believe it. I didn't know anyone had a poodle. (laughs) So, you know, you you think we live so far away, and yet we're so close. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. But it's wonderful, because I I can't believe it continues to this day. I find it extraordinary. Well, Seeds of Peace is a wonderful organization. It's a camp where they bring kids together, and they divide up in teams, and they learn how to participate, just like all the American kids do in In the summer. In different sports. So that you call it unity. So, you know, you can't, so it sort of rotates from group, right? I think this is absolutely marvelous. So then we move on. In, uh, you also relocated to Palm Beach, and then you started the Kudair Institute, which you've had for o- over 16 years, I believe. Correct. And so tell us a little bit about how that concept was created with you know, from the Women's Bank, from the peace, from all the things that you were so involved with politically, I believe, as well as, as explaining to women. How did the women in Russia actually... Um, take all these talks of yours i mean were we they... became very good friends Isn't because because they they the one question they asked me and it'd be very interesting is do you think if a woman becomes head of a country yeah but they use their own terminology um proletariat they use different words than i'm using and yeah. they said do they do it i think that the world would be a better place or not or would it be the same as when the men run the world and it's a question that we all have to ask because in this country we haven't had the experience yet. But all the women that I have met that are in Congress um, and the Senate and all that, I think have done a fabulous job. I think we women are very intuitive and those yes. women, and that intuition allows you to connect with another person. 
And I think we women do not want to have our children murdered or killed. And I think we'll come from a different perspective. But we need each other. Men and women together make the best team. So you called it the Kudere Institute with this thought process in mind, which I completely agree with you. But how did you end up with Congress and knowing all the politicos, <laughs> the politicos, I should well, call them? Well, no, I was a part of the Aspen Institute. I was That's invited correct. years ago. And at that time, they didn't have many women, and I was invited. And I got to meet a lot of people, and uh, it's a wonder. And the Aspen Institute is a wonderful organization. Wonderful, and it's a way people brought together people from corporations and the politics, and uh, that's how it started. That's true. Today they have the Idea Fest, and and anybody can come if they pay for it, and Correct. anyone can become a member. But when I first was there, it was more of a seminar group. It was not um, a thousand people at a time which has changed now, but they have a destiny and they want to help raise better leaders in the world. Well, again, it's about awareness because it grew. I mean, it's that's the whole huge. point. Mm -hmm. So, uh, by the way, just a, what is the Women's Bank, what, what's it called now? Is it a brown? It doesn't exist it doesn't anymore. Exist it's been absorbed by other banks. Okay, just was wondering, just because mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating. So you started the Kudere Institute, and you, because of you were with the Aspen Institute and part of the Metropolitan Museum. And what did you do there, dear? Well, what happened was that I was on the board of... Um, the national board of the uh, Kennedy Center, a man came up to me and said, how are you related to someone whose name is Kudere? And I said, well, I'm divorced. And he Shame said, on me, shame on me. And he says, well, that's okay. And he says, I see you live in Palm Beach now, and I have to live here, and let's make it more interesting. And his name was Robert Monks, oh, and he is a man that helped create with Nell Minow shareholder activism, the importance that a corporation should realize the shareholder is really the owner, not the corporation, the owner. Well, I think it's very interesting because a lot of corporations are throwing money left, right, and center on their parties and their group activities to Puerto Rico and Nassau. And I don't know whether these corporate events are still happening, but I think they still do. There's a lot of corporate events well, still Well, what there. they're trying to say and do, and they do it with big pension funds Correct. and they get them to pay attention, to say, look, we don't like how you're doing your governance. We want the right governance. We are your owners. It's true. So he's empowered shareholders. And it's a very important event. So he had to come live in Palm Beach, and we never thought Palm Beach was a place of, of great ideas at one time. And, of course, it's evolved, and it's become a fabulous place to live, and there's a lot of things going on. But we, he asked me, he says, why don't you make our life more interesting? <laughs> I love and, and so it was great for me, too, because I didn't know what I was going to do in Palm Beach. I was brought here because I fell in love with a wonderful man who brought me here. Uh, and you were used to working, so and you I'm were used like, to working. now what do I do? And so I get paid nothing. I created the, the institute. It's called Kudere Institute because the name Kudere was the name of a, an international law firm. And I figured that's how I could get the speakers to come. <laughs> Not people to join, but the speakers, because everybody thought most of Palm Beach were brain dead. And yet we had the most brilliant people who are the most successful people in America that come and settle here when they retire or semi-retire. And was the idea is to bring these kinds of people together and to hear subjects that matter 
it's uh, the institute is sort of like a salon because we do music and we do art and we we discuss other things but we really do discuss serious topics and the last topic we discuss which i find immensely important is how do we rebuild our middle class absolutely and building our middle class is extremely important because i grew up in the 40s we were all middle class if we were fortunate and people then went on and became richer and then some of them are gigantically rich and we came up with some good ideas a man named peter kiernan wrote a book getting your mojo back before the destruction and he talked about it at the institute and some of the people they thought it was fine and that but there are three or four people that have sat down with me and we are really trying to work something really out that so we can offer it to the people and one of the major topics is creating an infrastructure bank which is not tied to our government Correct. nothing to do with republic or democrat but to ask those people who have con- decided to say that we will give 90% of our money away before we die to put them into this bank and see if they would invest in this bank they will make a little profit but they will employ thousands of people we need new airports we need yeah. bridges streets we have we have a ton of work throughout america just america alone but you could do this in other countries no we have to work with this country first i totally agree but this is what we would what you want to create and to get jobs yes and people and and we don't want the political process to stop it and so if we could fund it with individuals not, and both republican and democrat not political they will earn money on their money by investing right. in in the bank but they won't earn as much of uh, they won't have to charge as much as an outside bank cuz their whole purpose was to charity but they're earning some more money so they can give more money out but they will employ thousands and thousands of people well i heard a talk through merrill lynch that, that there was a man i believe he was from the world bank he was from india uh, which i adored and he was telling us about this exact thing that you're talking about about people investing for the middle class people who are taxi cab drivers in Mexico or Venezuela and they have to go put gas in a certain gas station who will want so they give them very 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 low loans and when they have to go get gas they know that they're working and they have a salary and they picking up passengers then they started a company they started to help a company that was doing cans and i think uh middle of africa somewhere they needed cans can company so they started a can company to put beverages in the cans and they were training i think it was gonna i hate to tell you and all of a sudden they made all these people work in the factories and they started these factories fabulous it is fabulous and these brothers were were starting this company because there wasn't enough can production and these people gave the bank the money to the to the to start their their aluminum uh, warehouse their 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 whatever they do and they paid a very very low interest rate so you're telling that for the middle class who would like to continue to work they could get a very very small loan at your bank or a lower loan to be able to proceed whether they want to start building a grain silo or whether they want to do farming is that uh, that's also but also we're talking about 
major infrastructure in each state, talking about highways, talking about airports, that's right. talking about whatever that needs bridges, all the things our country needs, that we, we, we have all these laid off people. Put them back to work. I Give them jobs. Well, that's what Donald Trump said in his speech yesterday. He said we need new airports, new roads. It was the only nice speech he ever said, by the way. Well, this is one way of doing it where you can afford it without having to go to Congress and have them fight about it. You probably need to have them, or it's a state issue. Maybe it can become a state issue. It has to be, I think. And it then, is. or a community doesn't that, I mean, a community state issue, a localized issue, and there would be a bank there that would be able to help fund these projects. And it would the bank would earn a certain amount of interest, but a very low-level interest compared to uh, a venture capital interest. And hopefully we can help rebuild our country and get people working. I think that's wonderful, but the bank should be in every state, basically. That is, sure. That in is infrastructure. Oh, I hope it works out for you. Well, I don't know. We're going to write it up and hope someone who hears me talking about it will take it on as, as a major event for them. I think it's a great way of, of contributing to mankind and our lifestyle and helping people work and maybe make a little money, too. I think that's wonderful. Now, you know where you're going to be useful, my dear friend? You need to go to Cuba now that you can go over there. <laughs> now, those women would be shocked to hear you be able to say, because they have never been able to own an apartment. Talk about a credit card. Forget it. They own no apartment. They have allowed to own no salon, no business whatsoever. It is absolutely so sad to me that I've seen this when I went to Cuba two years ago on a missionary mission with Anthony Underwood, and we had to bring... Between them, we had to bring 10 pounds of crayons and diapers and pencils. How wonderful. And everybody brought it in their suitcase, and we went to the church, and we gave everything to the church, and they need desperately. When you go to a pharmacy, there's absolutely nothing in it. You can't possibly ask for anything. They needed diapers. They needed a desitin or something for diapers. They had nothing, and we brought pencils and crayons, and everybody brought everything in their suitcase. We, I mean, it must have been like Christmas for the nuns who were lovely, and then fortunately we have no control over who they give it to. But uh, it was a wonderful way to give back to Cuba, who have nothing. And my mother lived there for three years. And she was, of course, friends with the Hemingways. And it was a wonderful time of the—it was Batista. It was before Castro had taken power, and it was a beautiful place. So my mother told me, well, we lived in this pink house, which I saw many pictures when I was a child. And we went to this place and this place, and so I looked for the pink house— Absolutely gone. I mean, he had built these sort of round things for schools. There were these beautiful social clubs all over Cuba. Have you been there? Never, but my parents used to go every New Year's Eve. See, it was a really... <laughs> the National Hotel. Yes, that's where my mother used to go, and they used to have dances and things like yeah. that. And then there were wonderful clubs for people. So, I mean, there were all sort of, you know, the people would go if they were horseback riders would go to this club, whatever. And of course, he's emptied them all. And they took all the golf carts, golf courses away because he thinks it's a bad thing to do. And I think it's amazing that the Americans are going there. But sadly, a cruise ship just arrived. And I'm wondering, that was it was in the newspaper the other day, the first cruise, American cruise ship has arrived in Cuba. And I'm afraid there's going to be hundreds of little Cubans that are going to be hiding under lifeboats to get out of there. But it was it's sad because they lived there for 60 years without knowing any different. And the conditions of, of, the, of the, these people having absolutely nothing to own. I mean, they cannot own a thing. So their lives are really sort of like, well, whatever. 
So they're given a certain amount of food a month. They are given, I think, a pound of rice, a pound of flour, a pound of canned beans, and whatnot. That's about all. And then they have to sort of figure out how to work it out on themselves. Well, sounds like what people did in war at one time. I, I agree. But I think you should, you and your group, and I'll go with you, I mean, go to Cuba and empower the women. I mean, Well, I don't know if we can do that. But, you know, you'll see what the government has done and the relationship we have with them. And there are a lot of smart people. There are a lot. And they it, had a very good law school, a very good medical school. They've had in a Cuba, lot. it's uh-huh, true. It's uh-huh. absolutely true. But then the people had to come over here and re-educate themselves. But that was a wonderful country. At one time, it was. I'll be fine. I think I'll be as soon as we they were allowed to trade with us, and as soon as we can have more normal relationships, I think all the corporations will be going over there. I agree. Do you think that was a good thing that Obama did? That? I think so. But, you know, I, I I'm not political. I'm so, not either. And I'm not a Cuban. Yes, and I wanted to use that word. You are not I, non-ideological. We right. are, we encompass all religions, all paths of life. All identities. Totally. And that's sort of what's important to me as well, because I'm not political at all. But I actually like my aunt, um, Mrs. And, uh, Mrs. Jane Owen, uh, started a New Harmony, Indiana. Her husband had owned the town, and she rebuilt it to be the most magnificent. But, I mean, in the old way, and she used very much spiritualism. They have... They had used to have retreats and yoga retreats and meditation retreats, and uh, she built the roofless church, which is exactly the example with the Vestal Virgin underneath, and it was built by Philip Meyer, the architect. She was absolutely mad about him. He was a great friend. And the church is about uh, opening up the, the world to anybody because what is it within you is what God is about. It's fabulous, isn't it? Isn't it great that the power is within you? Totally. I had a wonderful story about somebody who was totally, unfortunately, unimpartial, and it's actually a joke, but I really think it's worth listening to, about the power is within you, and the power of you is to be able to come out and express yourself, which is part of what my show is about lately, by the way. So the joke is that there's a man that goes to church every Sunday, and he gets on his knees, and he prays, and he prays, and he says, Oh, God, please let me win the lottery. Please, I beg of you, I beg of you. So for about six months, he goes to church, very, very faithful, very loyal, to, and he prays to win the lottery. And all of a sudden, about six months later, a voice comes down, and says, buy a ticket. <laughs> because if you do not empower, well, first of all, if you don't buy a ticket, you're not going to win. But if you don't empower yourself, because God is within you, and you are then able to speak and to be the power within. I totally agree with you. Oh, well, you would have loved my aunt, who unfortunately passed away, but she was very, very famous. But the important part yes. is to use your intu- intuition and sometimes really follow it, because that gives you the idea of how to connect. We all have intuition, some, but some people are more in it. Some people are, are more perceptive to it. That's correct. But that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you know you have been able to give these symposiums. Now, when do they start again? They, we start in 2017, January. We, I do it from January through April. I think this is wonderful. Because I really can't do it too much long, you know. Four months is enough, and we try to bring as many interesting people together. And um, every, I, I always want to hear from other people say, hey, you've got to have this person or this person has right. an idea, because you don't know. And they all don't have to be famous. You no. want people who have some ideas. And we have music. Music is wonderful. Well, I did two of your things that were absolutely wonderful, one with Edwina and the other one with um, 
this wonderful Buddhist, yes? Oh, yes. He was head of uh, the Buddhist community yeah. at Harvard University. Yeah. And so it, we, we just bring a multitude of different ideas together, and hopefully people like it. Well, I forgot to say that you also went to the Wharton Business School in between all this. Well, those I took courses. There. Yes, <laughs> and then you did, uh, I think you even did some courses at Harvard. I no. did, How to Get to Yes. And university, yeah, and Wharton, and exactly. I mean, it, it, it. And then you were also a regent for the Catholic Saint John the Divine, and on the board of the Ecumen. Ah, I can't speak English. Ecumenical. Yes, I speak. Saint John the Divine is an oh, Episcopal. I love it. It's I Episcopal love it. Catholic. Yes. Okay. Uh, Episcopal Cathedral. Beautiful in New Beautiful. York City, and it is wonderful. It brings all people together. Jim Morton was the head of it at that time. And then there was this ecumenical group called the Temple of Understanding, which had all the major religious leaders involved. They are more political than any politician you'd ever want to meet. Matter of fact, because of the cathedral, is how I met this man who was head of the Venetianacom Bank. And, um, Amazing. And I must say that was my, my start in being invited in all over path. the world. In yeah. your past. Mm -hmm. All over the world. I think they came to you for a reason. Yeah. We all have destinies. But it, it's amazing because I think that the church is beautiful. I mean, I, you can't call it a church. It is a cathedral. It's a cathedral. It's on the west side. It's absolutely one of the most beautiful. 112th Street, 114th Street. Yeah, yeah, Street. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been. A friend of mine got married in one of the smaller. I mean, it's so uh, Well, it's, mag it's magnificent. But we all have, I think we all have destinies, and we just have to listen to them and reconnect, and maybe we're all here to help each other to further that destiny. And some people think it's a... Uh, uh, an airy fairy idea, but I don't think so. No, I think. Well, I think everybody has some strength, and we have to remind them. Now, this is a little something for the Kudair Institute. What's that? from my family? We don't oh my God! It's just. Oh, <laughs> I am excited. You are now an official member. <laughs> well, merci beaucoup. Thank oh, isn't you so that's, much. that's so sweet. Well, you're Thank welcome. You. To, you're welcome because I believe in what you do. Thank you. Well, you better come and start going to it. Well, we want our listeners if they've been to New York that they should go there because it and they can see online and actually yes, and I took my. They have a, the Apple Bus, I think it's called, the City Apple Bus. You know, they have one in London where you can get on the bus and you can just go all over. And I think they have a bus tour where you can just hop on, hop off. It's called Hop Off. Where you can go on their website, and you hop go. on and hop off. And <laughs> we, we uh, film some, many of our speak, speakers. Yeah. And people can see what we do and hear what we do. Now, where can they see that, darling? Uh, Institute.org. Okay. okay. And you have films on there as well. That's right. And Wonderful. you spell Couder, C-O-U-D-E-R-T, and then Institute is I-N-S-T-I-T-U-E uh, dot org. Please come, and I think it'd be wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and I really enjoyed having you on the show, and I hope our audience enjoyed it and they could learn something as well as I have today. And I thank you for listening, and I'm going to say my silly little Last stop of the night of the day is <laughs> lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. Have a wonderful day and God bless you. <laughs>